0: week zero is for the group of five all right group of five no more power five teams in week zero and welcome to always college football today is thursday august 25th we hope you're enjoying the show wherever it is you're getting the show whether that's on espn's youtube channel or if you're here with us via podcast on apple podcast or on spotify please like rate and subscribe it helps us out and it helps the show out so we appreciate the interaction that we've had with you up to this point. Hit us up in the comments section on the ESPN YouTube channel. Tell us how we can get better. We're trying to tailor the show to your liking as we approach quickly now. Week zero of the college football season. So many games to get to, so many things to look forward to. We will do that here over the next couple days, but we have a great game plan in store for you today. As like I said, week zero, just a couple days away. I'm going to tell you what should be happening this weekend. It's not happening, but it should be. And by the way, it's it's not bowl games. The preseason bowl game, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But we'll discuss that in just a minute. Plus, I'll give you some sleeper college football playoff contenders. And we're going to have a great conversation with the head coach of Army, Jeff Munkin. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. We're all just as excited as you are. We are 48 hours away or less than, depending on when you're watching this, from college football. Officially getting underway. We will kick things off at noon Eastern time when Austin P plays at Western Kentucky. We'll get a look at Western Kentucky now that they're without Bailey Zappi and without their offensive coordinator. I love that game. Now, you're going to say, Greg, hang on a second. It's Western Kentucky and Austin P. Fine. I I get that. I'm not saying that either one of those two teams are going to compete for the college football playoff this year. I'm not saying that they're going to compete. Really, at any point, for top 25 rankings or anything like that. But you know what week zero should be? It should be a showcase. When you think about games that stand alone or teams that play in unoccupied windows, what is that? It's a showcase. Why? Because there's not competition. If you are sitting there and let's say you're Alabama or you're Ohio State, if it's a crowded and competitive window that you're playing in, it doesn't matter because people are going to watch nonetheless. But you might draw viewers away from a lower-level game, lower-level in the eyes of some, maybe not necessarily to all, but the eyes of some. I've always thought that Week Zero should be a showcase, not for the teams named Florida State or North Carolina or Nebraska or Illinois all of which are going to be in action this weekend. And I'm thrilled that we're going to have a game in Dublin, Ireland, featuring two Big Ten teams in Northwestern and Nebraska. That's great. I'm very excited about that game. But they shouldn't be playing this weekend. Why? Because the group of five, and the FCS for that matter, should be highlighted in weekends when the Power Five is not playing. This weekend should be about the group of five. I would love... Love nothing more than to have the biggest possible games in a non-conference setting between group of five opponents on week zero. It should be a showcase. And even if you want to take it one step further, I personally would love to see North Dakota State play in week zero as well. And other top teams in the FCS. Why? Because it's unaccompanied. If you're tuning in as a college football fan, and you love college football just like the rest of us, are you more likely to watch game? You're just a casual college football fan. I'm not just take your hat off, the team that you pull for. Take that off, and let's not talk about that game for a second. If you're an average college football fan, let's say Ohio State is playing Indiana on October 8th, just using that as an example. But also on October 8th, you have Cincinnati playing UCF. Which game do you think is going to command the bigger audience? Obviously, the game involving Ohio State. They have one of the largest alumni and, as always, probably one of the highest rated games of the weekend. More often than not, it is the highest game of the weekend. So it's essentially taking away from Cincinnati and UCF, which by all accounts, might actually be a better game on paper. It's taking away from their viewership because of the big brand that Ohio State is. That's why Week Zero should be all about the group of five. Give me the best group of five matchups that I can have. Give me the best FCS matchups that I can have. And they should live and create a gigantic showcase event to kick off the college football season. They wouldn't have the competition that they have In a normal college football weekend during the regular season, up against the biggest, baddest brands in the land. All I wanna do is drive more eyeballs onto that level of football because it's terrific. The coaching's great, the players are great, the execution's great, and it should be celebrated on a day that should be entirely about them, not having to share it with some of the other programs that are always going to be at the top of the list when it comes to promotion and watchability. All right, moving on. Now, we've quantified this list as a group of sleepers, if you will. But I think they're more appropriately named, quote, teams that are considered long shots that shouldn't be. Is that fair enough? Because some of these teams are ranked in the preseason top 12, 15, 17, whatever. The, the, that's not a sleeper to me. Like A sleeper is a team that's projected to win five or six and wins 10. You know, So uh, Michigan State last year, sleeper coming off a four-win season or whatever they were the year before, had struggled. A lot of people think they're going to win three and a half games. Vegas did, at least. And what do they do? They go on and they have a remarkable season under Mel Tucker and you know find a way to the New Year's Six, find a way to win a New Year Six bowl game. That's a sleeper. These are teams that aren't getting talked about enough and are still considered by some to be long shots. And that's the last thing that I would consider them as. Let's start with number one. That would be the Pitt Panthers. Now, in 2021, they won more games than they had in 40 years. They return every single offensive lineman from a year ago and will likely lean a little more heavily on running the football. They were third in scoring. They were eighth in the FBS in passing. They were eighth in total offense, but they were 77th when it comes to running the football in the FBS. Now, Frank Signetti, their new offensive coordinator, will change that. It's fair to assume we're going to see a lot more Israel Abanaconda this year. It's, just, it's to be expected. He's their leading returning rusher, so I would expect a heavier workload from him. Keaton Slovis now, after this week's announcement, is going to be the starting quarterback. He's thrown for 7,500 career yards, but he hasn't had the magic the last couple of years that he had as a true freshman when he was thrust into the lineup, some, in some ways prematurely. The front seven on defense is legit. And if you think about it, that defensive line is elite. Everyone wants to talk about Clemson and how great they are along the defensive line. I'll tell you what, Pitt ain't taking a back seat to Clemson. Clancy is unbelievable. Clancy, excuse me, is unbelievable. Alexander, Baldonado, all these guys can flat out get after you along the line of scrimmage and should wreck shop throughout the year. Servasier Dennis is also a first team all ACC contender there at the second level. So Pitt... A team that is absolutely a college football playoff contender, but is still, in some people's eyes, considered a long shot. Let's move on to team number two. Maybe not college football playoff for this team, but I actually think a Pac-12 championship game appearance is possible. It's the Oregon State Beavers. And if you look at what they did last year, coming off their first bowl appearance in eight seasons, they have some momentum. They return Chance Lowden and he's had to go through an offseason quarterback competition, but his dual threat ability, he was I think the third or fourth leading rusher on the team last year, is I think what gives him a pretty significant leg up. Now he's a little inconsistent from time to time and I'd like to see more consistent decision making from time to time as well. But he's got some wheels to kind of offset what should be a run heavy, run first type of approach. Now, they do lose B.J. Baylor at running back, and he was the real deal. But Deshaun Fenwick will be solid after serving as the two last year. And remember this name, Tristan Gebby is back after missing all of last year with a torn hamstring. So running back, even though they lost a quality piece, they have plenty of depth position that they featured so prominently last year. They're retooling their defense under Trent Bray, but should have some good players coming off the edge with McCartan and Chatfield, who I think will be able to breathe some fire they're off the edge of the defense. So I think defensively, Oregon State will be really good too. Plus, their numbers are going to be good on defense for the most part because they're going to play ball control offense and will be extremely physical along the line of scrimmage just like they were last year when that offensive line was a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. That goes to the best offensive line group in college football. Michigan won it, but Oregon State was one of the three finalists. Oklahoma State, another OSU, similar colors, <laughs> is also a team that is right now considered a little bit of a long shot. I'm not sure why. This team was amazing last year and did a lot of great things. Was this far away from winning the Big 12, we all know that. And yeah, they lost a couple important pieces. Jim Knowles being the first example of that. He was their defensive coordinator. He's now at Ohio State, another OSU. It's like the OSU segment here. <laughs> but they were able to replace those big shoes with a guy that has... Really a, a tremendous pedigree as not just a head coach at, at Vanderbilt, plenty of experience there, but he's also a very successful defensive coordinator at both Stanford and at Auburn prior to moving now to Stillwater. That's Derek Mason. He will be tasked with having to replace six of their top eight tacklers, but if you look at last year's team, they rolled a bunch of different guys. And there's going to be a lot of carryover. Derek Mason and Mike Gundy have already taken to the podium saying, hey, we're not going to change a whole lot. Last year it worked. Well, they also have some good pieces to work with. Colin Oliver's a pretty good starting point. I mean, freshman All-American last year with 11 and a half sacks, but he doesn't have to necessarily carry the load because there's plenty of guys that don't have that returning starter label, but they played a ton of football in a defense that is very, very aggressive. Expect that aggressiveness to continue. You look at the offensive side of the football, and Spencer Sanders, people want to paint him as a guy that makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah, he didn't play great in the Big 12 championship game. We know that. That's understood. But if you look at his performance in the bowl game, that was a bounce back. If I've ever seen one, the guy was phenomenal against Notre Dame throughout the course of the Fiesta Bowl comeback victory. And if you think about this program over the last several years, in the last decade, they're 10th in winning percentage. In the last 12 years, since 2010, they've had seven 10-win seasons knowing that they bring back some quality pieces, I happen to think that Oklahoma State is very much going to be in the mix again there in the Big 12. But in a Big 12 that's wide open, you can't just have one team that's considered a little bit of a long shot. There has to be two, which is why I'm going to talk briefly about Kansas State. They would be team number four. That is considered a long shot, but maybe shouldn't be. They quietly, last year, went eight and five. They do need to replace Skylar Thompson, who's got all types of records, up there at quarterback, and that won't be easy, but in comes at least an experienced player in Adrian Martinez. Now, he at times had his fair share of struggles at Nebraska, but it's never been for a lack of talent. He's just often tried to do a little bit too much. I think with a fresh start, with a new run-first centric style of approach, and with a really rock-solid guy alongside him in the backfield in Deuce Vaughn, one of the best, most probably one of the best players in America, just flat out football players. The guy is as versatile as they come. He went for over 1,800 yards last year, scored 22 touchdowns. Maybe not the first guy you want to lead as you get off the bus at only 5'6", but put the ball in his hands and special things happen. Adrian Martinez will lean heavily with him and probably utilize some zone read, utilize his own versions of the quarterback run. And Chris Kleiman is going to put them in position, the head coach, he's going to put them in position to be successful. I think with his understanding of the bigger picture of how you help out both sides of the football. And what have I told you forever? You got to have two things, I think, to be really good in college football. You got to have a quarterback TBD on Adrian Martinez, but I feel pretty good about him getting a fresh start. You gotta have good team, a good front seven defensively. You really do. Yeah, that's so big. Well, the good news when you look at what Kansas State brings back, Felix and Udike Uzama is a monster coming off the edge. This guy is a complete difference maker, could be an all Big Twelve performer, but wouldn't be shocked if by season's end, he's kind of in the mix as far as the all American candidacy is confirmed concerned. He has him on the outside. Eli Huggins on the inside, and don't forget Daniel Green there at linebacker at the second level. It's a rock solid front seven that is sound, that is physical, and that will hold up against both the run and the pass. Really like Kansas State this year. The schedule sets up nicely too. Get Missouri early as an early test at home. I think they'll handle them and should be in a good position to pick up some momentum heading into Big Twelve play. And then finally, the last team that might be considered a long shot that shouldn't be. That's BYU. Team won 10 games last year, and that includes a loss as a heavy favorite against UAB in their bowl game. They also beat Utah there in week two of the season last year. And if you want to go a step further, they were 5-0 and against Pac-12 teams last year. <laughs> what does that tell you about what BYU is? Maybe that tells you more about the Pac-12. Fine, but to me, it tells me that they can play with anyone and they will do so again this year. Now, it'll be tough to replace Tyler Algier. He was the workhorse running back that could do everything, but keep an eye. Keep an eye and remember this name. He's a transfer from Cal. His name's Christopher Brooks. Probably one of the biggest transfer pieces that nobody's talking about here in the offseason. He's now in to fill that void that Tyler Algier created. He was recruited by Notre Dame. He's recruited by many others. He decided to go to BYU and should be a really solid addition for this offense. We already know about Jaron Hall, their their quarterback. He's phenomenal. They have good pieces back on the outside like Nakua. They're very good at wide receiver, and they bring back a decent contingent on defense. Now, they got banged up last year and didn't really look like themselves down the stretch, but they bring back 10 starters on defense. These guys have now played a lot. They're back. They're healthy. Their depth should be better as well because of how many guys were forced into the lineup prematurely at times last year. So BYU, another team that's considered a long shot, but maybe shouldn't be when you look at what they bring back.
1: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: So thrilled to be joined by one of the guys I respect as much as anybody in this industry. Uh, he's Jeff Munkin. He's the head coach at West Point. He's the head coach at Army. Uh, so we'll just get it out of the way, Coach. We usually ask our fun question at the end, but I figure we'll lead with you because I don't want to waste your time whatsoever. Who is the toughest Academy football team?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, you, So you're going to let me get up on everybody's bulletin boards right off the <laughs> bat?
0: <laughs> no, not at all, man. We would never do that to you. I think all you guys do such an amazing job with your programs, but I figured we'd just soften you up with a nice, easy question that would be real simple to just straddle the fence on.
2: I can't speak for those other two teams, but I know we've got a tough team here and and we got tough guys. and. And uh, they, uh, they're just, they're cut from a different cloth. They, uh, they, they, they're, they're not just physically tough. I think we, we play a good brand of football on the field, but the mental toughness, what they, what they endure in terms of the, the, the challenges of balancing, uh, you know, a class schedule, attending one of the elite institutions in the country and, and playing Division One football, and then with the professional standards that go along with, with going to West Point, and and then the the uh, just the the understanding that when they graduate from this institution, they're going to serve in the army, and that's not a job that you know a lot of kids play uh, play army in the backyard, but when it comes to a, a career and and doing that for real and, and defending the freedoms of this nation, you know, it's, it's not an, an enviable position, but these guys are tough and, and they take on those challenges and they're excited about it. And so I think we got a really tough football team.
0: Before they become army football players, they recruits. And uh, I'm curious what your pitch is when you are on the trail and, and how do you identify the players that are out there that would have an interest in going to one of the service academies?
2: This, this is an incredible institution. To associate your name with West Point puts you in elite company. So to, to be able to come here and earn a degree from West Point and the things that it will do for one of our cadets, including our players, graduate from West Point, the, the personal and professional opportunities they'll have for a lifetime are, are unrivaled. And, and frankly, I don't know that there's any other institution that can open some of the doors that are open for our, our young men and women. Um, we play a great brand of football and a big time brand of football. O- over the next four years, uh, you know, for, a, for a prospect that's in high school right now, in in his freshman year through his senior year, those four years of college football, we're going to play eleven Power Five games. That's a challenging schedule. It's an opportunity to play against some of the nation's best teams, and and we have we look at the, the teams we've played over the just the tenure I've been here, uh, Big Ten and Pac twelve, Big Twelve, uh, ACC, SEC, Notre Dame. I mean we've we've touched them all, and uh, and our guys compete with all of those teams. And we've, we've held our own and held our ground against all those big teams. And so we play a great brand of football. We're a championship program. We've been to five bowl games in the last six years. We, we, uh, we hold the commander in chief's trophy and have, have, uh, have won that, that trophy outright three times in the last five years. And so I I think there's, there's, uh, some things both from, uh, educational and athletic standpoint that that make this a great draw but oftentimes the uh, the thing that's the snag is the military commitment and not everybody sees it the same way but if we can find a young man who who has an open mind about it to be able to share with him and his parents and and his family just the opportunity that the army is there's there's not many places where you can get the kind of leadership experience and development that you get here, but then to put that into practice in, in a professional setting at the age of 22 or 23 years old, it's a responsibility that some people never get their entire lives and they get that at a very young age. And what it does is propel them into leadership opportunities, whether it be in the army or, or beyond in the public or private sectors that uh, I mean, there's no other college that can can name some of the, the graduates that we have in the positions that they that they hold. So um, I think there's a, a, a great opportunity for the right young men and, and, and women here that come to our school. This is a, an amazing place. It's a challenging place, but it's not designed to be easy because being a high level leader isn't easy. So we, we go through the process like everybody else, we identify those young men that we think can contribute to our program at this level and compete with the top teams in the in the country uh, at, at this level of football. That's where it starts. Then we have to look at academic credentials. There's there's obviously uh, academic requirements to get in here. Uh, ACT or SAT score, which isn't being required by very many colleges anymore, but but we still do require that, and it's a big piece of our admissions. Uh, and then a, a lot of interviews with with coaches and guidance counselors and teachers about the kind of leader these young men are, and and uh, the work ethic, and their their dependability and accountability, and and we seek for sp- specific examples of how they handle adversity, how they how they have have. Uh, shown leadership in their programs, and in their schools. And it really gives us a good idea of whether or not we've got the right young man to recruit here to West Point. So we do thousands and thousands of evaluations every year. I mean, literally thousands to, uh, to develop a recruiting class and, and bring a new group of, of, uh, of future leaders in here each year.
0: Which I would imagine is an unenviable task when trying to decide who your captains are going to be. If every single person on your leader, on your team is a leader in the community, uh, it's got to be I mean, the best among the best among the best when trying to evaluate who your captains are going to be. That's why I want to bring up Markel Broughton, who, who was named a captain again for the second time, which I know is rare. Uh, but even beyond that and what he's accomplished as far as his military grade, he just got named the first regimental commander for the first time. I believe a football player has had that distinction in 15 years or so. So uh, what can you say about him and the type of player he is there on the defensive side of the football for you guys?
2: We do have a whole team of leaders here. And to be named the captain uh, at a, a, of a program here, whether it's football or another sport here at West Point, is a tremendous honor. Um, these guys just that are that are our captains, they stand out and they are chosen by their peers. So uh, our process is, is maybe a little bit different for selecting captains. But what it comes down to is that th- their teammates have voted them captain. And, and it is rare that, that, uh, that we have a junior captain, especially in a big sport like football, where we have multiple seniors each year, uh, sometimes uh, in other sports, there there aren't any seniors or just a couple seniors, and there'll be some some juniors that will make the captains' rank. But uh, but Markwell is uh, he's just an incredible leader. He's he's he is one of the most dynamic leaders I've ever been around in my career, and he has a, a just a an unbelievable spirit and personality, and the way he connects with our our players and our coaches and other people here at the academy. Um, General General Williams, who just left West Point as the superintendent to take to take command in Europe and a, in in uh, Africa, um, he really pushed Markwell to become a leader in the Corps. And it, it's been our desire to to get guys in leadership positions, but frankly, it's just really challenging for those guys to do that, particularly during the football season and to see Markwell come here and, and work like he does. And and the the mental preparation that he puts into uh, each game and to each practice is incredible. But he literally races off the practice field and, and, and gets a to-go box as he takes the, the shuttle back down <laughs> to the main part of campus so you get back down there with First Reg and – and be the leader that he needs to be down there for them. So, um, if there's anybody can handle it, he can handle it. Uh, and we got other guys on our team that, that uh, thanks to General Williams and and uh, and now General Gillen, who's our superintendent, really embracing the opportunity to get those guys in the leadership positions because they they make a difference for our program and have made a difference in in us being successful on the on the football field. And I, I know that they're going to help. Our Corps of cadets and the, those that they lead there to be more successful and to be uh, more effective leaders when they get into the army, and that's that's our job. Our job is to prepare these young men and women to lead soldiers and to defend this the, the freedoms of this nation. and And we need great people doing that. We need we need people who are 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 effective, positive leaders. and And if we can push our guys into those leadership positions and help their classmates become those kinds of leaders for the Army, then, then we're proud to do it.
0: That's amazing. And and hats off to Markwell being able to balance and juggle all that, but I know he'll pass that test with flying colors. Uh, another guy that you said is rare to have a guy that's a first regimental commander, it's also very rare to have a first-round pick. And it's very possible that Andre Carter, if he has a great year, builds off what he did last year, he could find his name coming off the board in the first round. Uh, what does he mean to you guys? And if he does, in fact, go in the first round, I don't like to play hypotheticals, but what does that mean for for what you guys have created for him at West Point over the last few years?
2: I'll first say that Andre is one of the most unselfish players that uh, that, that I've ever seen in, in the position that he's in. often... When when guys get to that point, they're going in their senior year, and and they've they've had all these accolades, and there's there's talk that they may have an opportunity to to play at the next level. It's hard not to to as a player be thinking about those things and and start to prepare and to plan and to to uh, be conscious of how I can. It, improve my status and, 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 uh, and make myself as marketable as possible. And, and one of the things about Andre is he just wants to be a great teammate. And we have special teams meetings every day following our team meeting. We get together as a team, we break off, special teams meetings are going on, position meetings are going on with those that aren't involved in special teams. But at outside linebacker, most of those guys are really involved in the special teams and he he is uh, he's involved in a couple, but he's not across the board like a lot of those guys that are in that same room with him. So he immediately goes up to Coach Woody's office, our defensive coordinator, and spends 15 minutes just looking at film and 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 getting some extra time with Coach Woody. And every day after practice, he's coming up and asking how he can get better, and and wants to ask about a certain play, and he just he just wants to help our team. He loves his teammates. He's, he's the most unassuming guy he's not a he's not a, a real vocal guy but he just plays really really hard and plays really well if he has the kind of season this year like he had last year then I, I, I do feel good about his his chances of being drafted in in whether it's the first round but certainly the uh, the, the first rounds of the draft and and that'd be incredible for him I'd just be really proud for him and of him, and uh, and just the the pride that uh, the source of pride that that would be for our program. Uh, I really hope it works out. And and uh, again, we're just we're going to try to play great defense. And where he fits in and fits into the defense, uh, he he's perfectly happy doing whatever he needs to do to help our team win. He doesn't need somebody to to coddle him and tell him, hey, we're going to set you up so that you can uh, you know, get this many sacks. He knows that he can help our football team by making plays. And, and he trusts that our defensive staff is gonna, gonna put him in position to make those
0: plays. And coach, just phenomenal perspective. There's about 35 other things I want to hit you on. So we're going to have to have you back. Uh, I know you have a busy schedule. We have a busy schedule as well. So we're going to do it again. Thank you so much for, for all that you do, not just for, for army, but, but for college football and and for everything that you do in prepping the future leaders of our country. It's just, it's just very, very special. And we're grateful to you for that.
2: Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about America's team. And uh, thanks for the opportunity, guys. I'm looking forward to the next time. Beat Navy.
0: What a great visit with head coach Jeff Monk. And man, just unbelievable when you think about what those kids go through every single day. And I remember just being absolutely exhausted at times after, say, a Wednesday practice or a Tuesday practice. You're just flat out dead, man. The last thing I want to do, hey, I got to go back up there, watch more tape, eat my food. And then hopefully I get back in time to get a good night's sleep before we wake up and do it all over again. Well, imagine having five or six hours in addition to your football work and school work. That you're responsible for man just cannot tell you in the time that i've spent around those players and and it's been minimal and it's been kind of few and far between but have had some interactions with guys um when i was playing and, and guys that uh, alejandro villanueva being one we were on spring break together and he was uh, we were on a cruise ship on spring break He was like the most buttoned up dude when it came to working out like every day, like on a cruise ship, like in there throwing weight around, like everyone in there is like 64 years old. And there's Alejandro Villanueva, who at the time was playing wide receiver for Army doing like squats. Like, dude, we're on spring break. He goes, no, I'm regimented, man. It's just, it's unbelievable to see those guys and interact with those guys and to know just how invested they are, not just in their football careers but in their academics and everything else that this, that they're responsible for while they're on campus there at West Point. Same goes for what goes on at Navy, same goes for what goes on at Air Force. Just can't tell you how much respect I have for those guys having played and just knowing what they have to go through in addition to what they do on the football field. Look, we really appreciate you being with us today. It's been a great show highlighting the Group of 5 and Power 5. Week 0 is for the Group of 5. All right. Group of 5. No more Power 5 teams in Week 0, even though I look forward to watching the games that are coming up involving Power 5 teams, of course. But I want to celebrate the Group of 5, and I think Week 0 is the time to do that. Glad we were able to sum that up. Also appreciate Coach Munkin taking the time to visit with us. That was very, very special. And appreciate his players and hearing their story, knowing what those guys are going through. That's for sure. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you're getting the content, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel or if you're here with us via Spotify please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Tell us where we can get better and how we can improve. You can talk to us via email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com or interact with us on our social media platforms at alwayscfb. That's on Instagram and it's on Twitter. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like Rate and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast.